So, for all you young at heart now, here we are on Pentecost Sunday. So, we have finished going through the book of Acts. We've actually finished that last week, and we did kind of a recap. We went back to, to uh, chapter 1 and looked at some things there. But today being Pentecost Sunday, I did not want this day to pass without acknowledging it and without talking about the amazing gift that God has given to us through the Holy Spirit. So I want to read to you Acts chapter 2, the first 21 verses, and a couple of more after that. You ready? Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. You should pay special attention to that. They were confused. Why? Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans, and how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are full of wine, or they're drunk. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, or nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Job. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel... Hear these words. I'm going to skip down to verse 40. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. 
Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. That is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would, as we talk about your Holy Spirit today, that gift that you have given to those who belong to you. Lord, help us by that Holy Spirit, by that power that is within us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Open our hearts and open our minds, God, that we would be a people conformed to your image, that we would be your martyrs in the earth, whether we're living or whether our lives are taken by those who hate your name. Father, give us power to be witnesses for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we don't fear being martyred for our faith here in America, but I promise you there are many places on earth right now. I'm not on? Nope. All of that I wasn't on? Man. All right. So sorry. Well, I am now. I have the power now. <laughs> so we don't fear being martyrs in America yet, but we don't know if that day may come. But I want us to really get away from just thinking of that word as someone who's killed for their faith. I want us to understand that when the Bible calls us witnesses for Christ, that is the word it uses. We're martyrs. And this is why when you read the history of the early church, and they carried them into coliseums to be eaten by live animals or to be practiced for gladiators, the people were amazed that those Christians could go to their death with a smile on their face and a song on their lips. And Eusebius writes that there were many who came to faith in Christ simply by sitting in the stands watching Christians being executed, brutally executed, by seeing their faith and seeing their joy and seeing their witness as their lives were being taken. Their lives really weren't being taken because their life is in Christ, and in Christ we have eternal life. Eternal life is not dependent upon what happens with these bodies. And we, we need to remember that as we pray for families like the family of Alex or the family of Leonard Jackson. And we need to, we need to pray that those families would come to understand that in Christ... Yes, we grieve because there is separation, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Because our loved ones who die in Christ are not dead. They are alive. That's why the Bible talks about them as being asleep. And it is the Spirit of God in us gives us that eternal life. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about Pentecost, talking about the Spirit of God, and I'm not going to do that today, but I did want to remind you, because I think if there's ever a time in history, there is no greater time than this time that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ 
needs to understand the power that she has. We live in a culture that has convinced us that Christianity is irrelevant, that Christianity is outdated, that our God is dead, that Jesus, if he existed, is just a historical figure. I was reading uh, some information this week from a book by a heretic named uh, Dominique Crossan. And I do say he's a heretic. He's a, he's a Catholic priest who, who teaches what, far and wide the historical Jesus. The historical Jesus who was just a peasant boy from Nazareth who was so um, traumatized and brutalized in, in, by the Romans that he purposed that he would live his life committed to nonviolence. And the amazing thing about Jesus was not his death. He wasn't divine. He was just a mere peasant. The amazing thing is that he was able to live his life in Palestine. Don't call it Palestine. Call it Israel because that's what it is. You notice when you read from these heretics and they start using words like Palestine, you might as well just close the book on them right there because they're not coming from a biblical point of view. Palestine is what the Romans called it. But what God calls it is Israel. It's a land. And Israel is not just a land, it's a people. And Israel is not confined to a small footprint in the Middle East. We are Israel today. We didn't replace them, we've been brought into them by the blood of Jesus. And Israel is Jew, Israel is Greek, Israel is Palestinian. Israel is Arab, Israel is Persian, Israel is American, it's every color, it's every ethnicity. That's what Israel is. I would say every race, except there's only one race, that is the human race. That's also a mistake men make. God made one race. He only created Adam, and all humanity has come from him. It doesn't matter what color your skin is or what... Your birth certificate says the nation you were born in. And on the day of Pentecost, that day we just read about, if you notice, there were men from all nations there in Jerusalem. And they were there because the law commanded that every Jewish male appear before God three times a year. And Pentecost was one of those times. And there were Jews that had been dispersed throughout the world from the various empires that conquered them, and as God would judge them, they would be dispersed. Jesus was not just a peasant boy from Nazareth. He might have been a peasant boy from Nazareth. He did, he did grow up in a poor family. We know that because of his birth, and we know that because when Mary went to the temple to dedicate him, she couldn't afford a lamb, so she had to buy turtle doves. And God made that provision for the poor who could not afford to buy a lamb or had a lamb. But the point is, is that the amazing thing about Jesus is not just his life. It is his death. Because he is the son of God. He is God incarnate. He is the Word made flesh. 
We're going to talk more about that next week when we begin a study on 1 John. This is who Jesus is, and it's this Jesus that lived a sinless life, who was the God-man, who was human, yet divine. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. That's impossible. Well, it's only impossible if you count God as part of the creation and don't rightly see him as creator, and we are creation. Don't think of God in terms of your humanity or anyone else's humanity because God is other than anything else of his creation. And it is God who sent Jesus, and Jesus who lived and died and was resurrected, and Pentecost is the feast that was celebrated 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't created to celebrate. Well, actually it was. But the Jews didn't celebrate it as the 50 days after the resurrection. Jesus was resurrected on first fruits. He was the first fruits of resurrection. So imagine for centuries upon centuries, the Jews are keeping these feasts and, and they know about these feasts because Moses wrote about them. God gave it to them in the scriptures. And they, they think, like a lot of people, these are marking agricultural cycles, and they do. But they learn about agriculture, as the heretics write. And God wasn't invented by farmers so that they would have better crops, as the heretics write. No, God created heaven and earth. And God created a people to be his own. And the roots of Pentecost don't begin with the resurrection of Jesus or the day of Pentecost that happened 50 days after his resurrection. The roots of Pentecost go all the way back. I mean, we can go back as far as the law. When in Exodus 32... Moses is up on the mountain and the children of Israel are thinking he's not coming back and let's make another God to worship. But God was giving Moses the commandments on the mountain. God spoke from Sinai and gave the word of God to Israel. That's what Pentecost is really about. That's why when we read the New Testament account, there were divided tongues of fire. This is for the Jews taking them back and reminding them when they stood at the base of the mountain and God spoke and they said, Yes, Lord, we receive your word and your covenant. But they broke it. Moses comes down from the mountain after receiving the commandments from God after being there for 40 days and they are parting with a gold calf. Well, Pentecost was given to the children of Israel. It marks this. Yes, it's the Feast of Harvest. But do you know what happened in Exodus 32? In Exodus 32, when Moses comes down and he breaks the tablets in anger, and then the Levites, those who are with God, see, people don't like this because 
they say, well, this, I don't want to worship this God. And Moses comes down and he says, who is with me? And the Levites all, all come to Moses and he says, put your sword on and you go and you kill those who have sinned against God, who are responsible for this. And it says that 3,000 men were killed. There in Exodus 32. At that first Pentecost, we might say. 3,000 men were killed. Do you think it's... A, now, let me ask you this before I fast forward a few centuries. Do you think that only 3,000 people deserve to die that day? See, we're not going to do it today, but if you go back and you read Exodus, God wanted to wipe the whole nation out. And you know who interceded for the nation? Moses did. And Moses said, God, don't, don't wipe out the people. I know they deserve to die. But, Lord, I'm asking you, don't kill them. Don't wipe them out. And you see Moses as a type of Christ interceding for the people that deserve to die All of them deserve to die that day, not 3,000. But God in his mercy didn't kill all of them. Only 3,000 suffered the consequence of that sin and that rebellion, when in reality, they all deserve to die. How many of us deserve the eternal life that God gave to us? Yes, we all deserve to die. None of us deserve the eternal life God has given to us. Now, we go to the day of Pentecost that I just read to you. And on the fullness of, day, of the day of Pentecost, God poured out His Spirit. Now, from Sinai, God spoke to Israel. And that was only a foreshadowing of what was to come on the fulfillment of Pentecost that was that day, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. That was the fulfillment of all that God had shown Israel through the law and all that Israel had kept. And they came every year at the time of harvest for the Feast of Harvest. And they thought it was about the barley harvest. But it wasn't really about the barley harvest. The barley harvest was just really a type and a shadow of the real harvest that would come. A harvest of souls that God would bring. You do understand this. God created barley and wheat and corn and, and all of those things really to just give us a picture of His plan and purpose for salvation. I enjoy eating all of those things and they are necessary for us to live in these physical bodies. But you understand that God has something much greater, much deeper in mind by giving us all that we see in creation. He is teaching us. He is showing us. This is why the Romans says that, that men are without excuse because God has shown it to them. It's all around us. We have to willfully deny it and suppress the truth and unrighteousness to, to ignore it. You can't just accidentally ignore it. You can't do it. So the barley harvest was never about barley. It was always about souls that would be saved. And when Jesus was resurrected, he was the first fruits, not of barley, but of souls, of the resurrection. And that's why he's called that. 
That's why he was resurrected on the Feast of First Fruits. Finally, First Fruits was fulfilled with the resurrection of Jesus. And 50 days later, Pentecost was fulfilled with the outpouring of the Spirit. So it's not accidental that on that first Pentecost, we might say, 3,000 souls were killed because of sin, because of everyone's sin. But yet, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible tells us that 3,000 souls were added to the church. At that Pentecost, that Pentecost, with the giving of the Holy Spirit, resulted in life. When the law was given, it resulted in death. And what the law showed us then, as it always shows us, is that what we deserve is death. But in Jesus, we don't get what we deserve. And now, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh, not just Jews, but anyone who trusts in the Lord, not just men, but women, not just old, but young, not just free, but slaves. And here Peter quotes the prophet Joel, who foretold of that day when the Spirit of God would be poured out. In fact, when you look at this, when you look at that, and you go through that, and he's quoting from the prophet Joel, you see that that is speaking of the impending judgment. It's speaking of the wrath that we deserve but after that judgment and after that wrath, verse 21, it says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that day, after Peter preached his sermon, and the men of Israel listening said, What must we do to be saved? He said, Be baptized in the name of Jesus. Be saved. He wasn't saying baptism saved them. He was saying you need to put your trust in Jesus and identify with Jesus as your Messiah. Then you will be saved. And they did that. 3,000 of them was added that day, the Bible says. Not accidentally the same amount whose lives were taken as a result of the sin there at the foot of Mount Sinai. That's not an accident. And what we see in this, and the reason we mark Pentecost today is because God still pours out His Spirit on all flesh today. In Christ, we have received the Holy Spirit so that we would receive power to be martyrs, living witnesses. And we live as witnesses until we die from this earth. However, that may happen whenever that may happen. When God pours His Spirit into us and tells us to go and to be witnesses, He never puts an end date on it because it doesn't have an end date. The end date for that is not the day you die and leave this body and this earth. That's not the end date. 
You will never stop being a witness to Jesus. You will, throughout eternity, give witness to Jesus and the grace of Jesus and the Spirit of God and the work of the Spirit to, to angels, to powers, to principalities who look at us and wonder and wonder, what in the world is God doing? Because the Bible says they don't understand. Because they're not the heirs of salvation. We are. We are the heirs of salvation. And yes, God has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee so that we would know that we are His. And our salvation in Jesus is sealed. You can be assured of your salvation if you are in Christ. But the Holy Spirit is given as more than just a guarantee. It is to empower us. We are to have power to be witnesses. We have been anointed. So in the Old Testament, when they would anoint priests or kings, they were anointed for that calling. When, when Samuel went to Jesse's house and he he interviewed all of Jesse's sons and says, "What is this all you have? Because these, none of these are the, none of these are the, the one." And Samuel didn't understand it because they all looked very kingly. And Jesse goes, "Oh yeah, my my little runt son David, he's out there keeping the sheep. We'll we'll bring him." And when David comes, God speaks to Samuel and he says, "You look at man on the outside, but I look at the heart." And David was anointed by Jesse that day anointed to be king, there was a calling put on his life. It was years before David actually entered into his kingship. But the anointing and the calling was placed on him that day. We have received, the Bible says, the anointing. And the anointing is more than just our ability. We want to focus on the externals here. And they spoke in tongues. And they spoke in all these languages. How cool is that? That's not the point. The point of the Holy Spirit is not just for us to do cool things and have power to do cool things and have gifts. The point of the Holy Spirit is that we be witnesses for Christ. Well, how do we do that? Well, that day in Jerusalem, with men gathered from every nation in all of those different languages there, God did a miracle and caused all of those men to hear in their own language. Now, whether all of those, whether Peter and James and John and all those guys were speaking all those languages, I don't know. But what it says is all of those men, each of those men, each heard in their own particular language. Language, that was a miracle God did. Those disciples didn't do that. God did that. Through the Holy Spirit. Why do we have the Holy Spirit? To do miracles like that? If God wants. I believe in miracles. I believe it's going to take a miracle to bring healing to our nation. I believe it's going to take a miracle for the church to finally wake up and rise up and be who she's called to be, the martyrs, the living witnesses of Christ in this earth. But God has done miracles since, since creation. I mean, we live in a miraculous world. Miracles are happening all around us. We just become blind to them because 
we've bought the lie instead of believing the truth. And here on Pentecost Sunday, our prayer should be that God would fill us with his spirit. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If you're in Christ, you already have the spirit of God. But I don't know if you're filled with the spirit. And I'm not talking like, you know, you leaked out. The spirit leaked out. The spirit does not leak out of you. Please understand this. The spirit of God is not something God pours in you that leaks out of you. Now, to be filled with the Spirit means you make a decision whether you're going to live your life under the control of the Spirit, submitted to God, submitted to His Word. Well, how do you do that? Well, you do that by the power of the Spirit. This is why God gave you the Spirit. The problem isn't that the Spirit's leaking out of the church. The problem is the church won't submit to the Spirit. That's in them. The problem is that we don't want to submit to Jesus in us the hope of glory. And now by the power of the Holy Spirit, we actually have been set free from the spirit of, of death and sin. And we've been brought under, this is what we're learning on Wednesday nights in Romans, we've been brought under the spirit of, of life in Christ. There's a different law that regulates us now. It's the law of the spirit and life in Jesus. Well, that spirit in us is what gives us the power to be regulated under the will of God, in the word of God, in submission to his word and to his will. That's what it means to be filled with the spirit. And what we need as the church, we need to seek the face of God and ask for God to give us the grace to obey the grace to humble ourselves and submit to his spirit and to his will. The grace to fear God more than we fear man. The grace to be able to hear all of the lies and to experience all that the world has put before us in hopes that it will discourage us we need to have the courage to just say to those things, move in the name of Jesus. If God can move your sin, certainly God can move all of the mess that's happening in the world. Because there was nothing more pressing. There was nothing that had you trapped without hope more than your sin did. And God has removed that by the blood of Jesus, and he has given you his spirit, and now he's given you the power to move those things that oppose you. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, but working through fear. When are we going to finally say, you know what, COVID-19 is not Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. And when am I going to say, I'm not going to live my life in fear any longer? Now, I'm not saying be unwise. I'm not saying don't take care. I'm not saying that. But I deal with people quite frequently who have basically shut themselves down because they are so fearful. And at some point in time, as believers in Jesus Christ, we've got to say, I either believe God is bigger or all the stuff the world keeps telling me about. Who's got more power? 
Well, I'm going to tell you right now, in case you don't know the answer, God. God is the one. He has the power. He is Lord of all. He is the sovereign over everything. There is one virus that comes to planet Earth that comes apart from the knowledge of God, even all the ones you don't know about. And there are zillions of them out there floating around the atmosphere. You just don't know they're there, but they're there. And if we understood what was there, we would probably none of us ever leave our homes in fear. But that's the truth. I talked to a, a guy last night who's uh, a doctor, and that's what he was saying. He said, people don't even know the things that are floating around out there. But I'm telling you, what I do know, I don't know what all's floating around out there, but here's what I do know. Jesus is Lord. He's conquered sin, and he's conquered death. He is the creator of heaven and earth. And there's nothing in this created order that that came here apart from him and apart from his knowledge. The devil's not out there creating things. The devil's not a creator. He is a created being. Don't give the devil that credit because it doesn't belong to him. He is just a tool that God uses. That's it. That's it. The only thing we should fear is God. And if you look around, the landscape of the church, at least in America, there does not seem to be a lot of fear of the Lord happening. Well, when will we see revival? When will we see reformation come to our nation? When you see the church of the Lord Jesus Christ beginning to fear God more than they fear men, more than they fear political wokeness and political correctness and all of this stuff, that the world uses to intimidate you. You can't say this, you can't do that, or they're going to call you this and they're going to call you that. Well, all I'm worried about is, are they going to call me a Christian? That's really all we need to be worried about. If we live our life for the fullest, to the fullest for Jesus Christ, will they know at the end that we were Christians? I don't care what else they call me, will they know that I am a follower of Jesus? Did my life give witness to Jesus? This is why God gave us the Holy Spirit. Because at the end of everything, the most important thing for the world to know about us is that we follow Jesus. Whether we die quietly in our beds at 106, or whether we die violently by those who hate the name of God. We, we don't like to talk about these things in America because we just live in this bubble. But the bubble's been popped. You guys realize this, right? The bubble's gone. There's no more bubble. And it's time for the church to rise up. Now, you go back to the book of Acts. We won't do it now, but you go back and you read the Gospels and then you read the beginning of the book of Acts. And you saw a church who was literally hiding out for their lives after the crucifixion of Jesus because they were convinced that they were going to come after them and they feared for their lives. But something happened. Jesus was resurrected. But more than that, more than the resurrection of Jesus, God gave them power. 
And when they came out of that upper room that day, there was no fear in those disciples. They could have all been crucified as far as they were concerned. They didn't care because there was no fear in them. And they came down from that upper room and they preached a message that resulted in the salvation of 3,000 just as a result of that one message. And from there, you can keep reading. We just went through the book of Acts. God kept increasing the church. And the commission went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. I'm going to tell you why it went to the ends of the earth that day at Pentecost. Because there were people there from the ends of the earth who heard the message that Peter preached, who saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, who saw the power in the lives of those martyrs. That spirit that was poured out that day is the same spirit that lives in you today. It's in you right now. And the same things that we saw that church do are things that we can do. Because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And if it dwells in you, it will strengthen your mortal body. To walk and to live in obedience to Christ. And at the end of the day, that's really what the power of the Spirit is. It's to give us power to live in obedience to Christ. It's to give us power so that our life will look like the life of Christ. So that our love will be the love of Christ. So that our message will be the message of Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. And if we are faithful witnesses, all we have to do is trust for God to bring the increase. You can't save anybody. But your message, your message, God can take and break through the hardest of hearts. So it's May 23rd, 2021. We're 2021. 21 years, give or take, a few on the other side of the resurrection. God pouring out His Spirit is not a historical event that's over. God is still pouring out His Spirit. Maybe you have received it. If you have, then walk in its power and be the witness that Christ called you to be. Tell your family, tell your friends who are also believers in Jesus. Encourage them that they are to walk in power, that they are to trust God. And to not buy into the fear that would try to get you to fear anything and everything more than you fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Spirit of God in you will show you how to take that and apply it in the wisest ways possible for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Let's get ready to come to the table. Those verses there, the last verses I read, verses 40, 41, and 42, it says they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, 
in the breaking of bread and in prayers. It's what we're doing today. Today we've done all of that. We've continued in the apostles' doctrine. Our fellowship with one another. We're going to come to the table and we're going to break bread. We're going to pray. We're going to believe God. This is what the church did when they came together. They did this to the glory of God so that their lives would be a continuing witness to Christ. If you're here today and you're trusting Jesus, you count yourself a covenant member. You are welcome to this table. Trust Jesus. You can do it right now. Call upon His name. You can do it right now. Come to the Lord's table. He's made a place for us. Come with thanksgiving. Let's proclaim His death. Let's proclaim His life. Let's proclaim it not only today through the eating of this bread and drinking of this cup. Let's proclaim it loudly as we leave here today. Welcome to Jesus. Come to the table. As you are in Christ, let's all stand. As you count yourself a member of God's covenant people, I trust as you came to this table today, you did so because you are God's covenant people. And as we proclaim the body and the blood of Jesus, you claim that body and that blood for your own redemption, that it was through that body and through that blood that your sin was taken away. Just It was through that body and blood that my sin is taken away. God didn't just take away our sins and leave us. God took away our sins by the blood of Jesus, by the sacrifice of Jesus, the substitutionary atonement upon the cross. God did that, but He also poured out His Spirit. He put His Spirit in us so that that atonement, so that that redemption, so that that salvation would not be a temporary salvation, but an eternal salvation. And that Spirit that's in us gives us that eternal salvation, but it also gives us power to live our life here on this earth right now, that we would walk in His power, that we would walk in His light, that our lives would convey in the biggest events down to taking out the trash and washing the dishes. In every part of our life, our lives would convey that witness. That at the end of our days, however long or however short they may be, men would say of us, he, she, they followed Christ. Because their life showed it. The power of their life showed it. And the power of your life is the power of the Spirit in you. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Don't underestimate the power of God residing in you. Don't just read through that passage that says, if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. If that Spirit is dwelling in you, do not discount that Spirit. Do not discount that power. 
Don't look at the world. Don't listen to the news. Don't read the things and watch the things and think that God is powerless. God is powerful, all-powerful. There is no power greater, and we of all people on planet Earth should believe that and should live that, should proclaim that, and if the world calls us crazy for believing it, then fine, let them call us crazy. But child of God, follower of Christ, do not underestimate the power of God that is in you by the Holy Spirit. Don't do it. Go out and demonstrate it by living your life and following Christ and being his living martyr. Amen? Amen.